I was 19 years old. I had two years of college under my belt, but I was drifting. College was hard. My grades were fine, but I would just agonize over my assignments. I couldn't seem to find my place with friends or some very weird roommates. <laughs> and I was terribly homesick, like calling my mom early in the morning, the most expensive time for long-distance calls back then, and just crying, crying about how lonely I was. Everyone had told me, your college years are the best years of your life. And I remember thinking, OMG. If these are the best years of my life, I am in serious, serious trouble. I mean it. Now, near the end of my sophomore year, I went home to my family, who lived in Denver, Colorado, and happened to land a summer job as a camp counselor and an occasional backpack guide at a Lutheran Bible camp up in the mountains called Sky Ranch. I'd always love camping with my family, hiking mountain trails, and, and I'd done some work with kids in my youth, so I said, yeah, this is going to be the perfect summer job. And it was. That summer was magical. I was welcomed into this big, embracing community. We, we dug into the Bible with our campers and, and with one another, and we would hike along these Aspen-lined trails and, and point out the knick-knick that was under all the trees or, or teach the campers how to use a compass. We'd sit around the campfire and sing songs with the kids or play pranks for the, the cabin next door. And on weekends... On weekends, waiting for the next batch of church kids to show up, the counselors would sit around and look up at the sky and watch shooting stars streak across this black mountain sky. And we'd ask big questions of one another, like, what do you think God is? What do you think this life is? What do you think your life is? Yeah, and what do you dream about? I had never been asked those kinds of questions before, and it was soul food. It was soul food. Now, I'd always help my mom at our home church leading songs with my guitar, from about third grade on up. So it was kind of a natural to play a song as we were sitting out there in the, underneath the night sky or to help lead the children in camp songs around the fire. And one day I remember sitting on this wooden fence looking up at Comanche Peak. It was this mountain that dominated the entire sky there at Sky Ranch. And a fellow counselor said something like this. You ought to try singing for real. I mean, professionally. You're really good. It was kind of an offhanded comment, but it stuck. I got it in my head that I was going to quit college 
and make it as a singer. Now, many of the Sky Ranch counselors hailed from Brookings, South Dakota. Oh, yeah. I was going to go to Brookings, South Dakota and make it big. Yep, they had a pub there that I could sing at. Yep, and they had, I was going to make some dough. And then I was going to sojourn to the Twin Cities, where the music scene was really, really happening. I want to stop here and make a little disclaimer before I go any further with this story. I am not advocating quitting college. I am not advocating taking a year off, which is how I positioned it with my parents who had that deer in the head look kind of look when I make my big announcement, I'm quitting college. No, I'm just wanting to tell you about my story of surrender. So here's what's happened. I had $150. I thought I was really loaded. I had $150. I had a place to stay and a place to sing, and I took off to make my fortune. And I honestly cannot remember how I finally got to Minneapolis, but I did. I got here. And I was talking to music agents, and I was hanging out on the West Bank, and, and here in Uptown at a bar that is no longer called the Williams Pub, but I could point it out to you if you want to know where it is. And I was performing here and there, but not really making any money, just kind of playing for tips and trying to fit into the music scene at night when I was writing songs in the afternoon. But I was feeling really awkward and really uncool. And that old feeling of deep-seated loneliness started to rise up in me again, only now it was worse. So I ended up crashing at a fellow singer's farmstead out in Chaska, of all places. And back then, Chaska was nothing but fields. Fields and fields and farmsteads and fields. And it was late October or early November or ugh, maybe it was March. I, I don't know. All I know was I was stuck in the middle of nowhere alone while my singer friend did a small tour of the college coffee houses for two weeks. It was really cold. I had no car. There was no TV. And just to make this clear, there were no personal computers back then. <laughs> so there was no Skype and no Facebook. There were no friends around to talk to. And long distance calling was really expensive. And I didn't think I could reach out to my parents because I had made such a big stink about quitting college. So I slept late into the mornings, and then I would take afternoon walks by myself in the field, and then I would go to bed early. I rarely picked up my guitar. I was failing in mind, body, and spirit. And quite honestly, I thought I was going to die out there on that farm. I finally pushed my shame aside and I made a long distance call collect to a Sky Ranch friend, meaning he had to pay for the call. And I told Glenn what was happening. And I remember he drove all the way to the farm and he helped me pack my things 
And then he took me to the Greyhound bus station in downtown Minneapolis and bought me a ticket home to Colorado. I was devastated. All those big questions late at night, all that talk about life and dreams and God. What was it worth now? I was a failure, a big fake. That's what I told myself. I had no talent, I said. I had been appropriately cut down to size. Spring arrived. It was a Sunday morning, and I was heading for the church parking lot in Colorado after the service, walking alone with my head down, shoulders slumped, bruised and beat up by myself and the big doses of reality that this world can dish out with a plum. And my mother's best friend saw me, and she called me over to her car. And I, re I remember this so vividly. It's so ma amazing. I remember her rolling down the window with the sun just shining bright on her face, and, and it just the sunlight just lighting up the whole interior tan of the car. And she asked me how I was doing. And I couldn't lie. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. There was a palpable shift in her tone as she so wisely took what I was saying seriously. And she compassionately took my broken heart in these beautiful words. Ruth, you get as many chances to fail as you need. You get as many chances to fail as you need. That phrase has been like a lifeline to me over the course of my years in the music business, in the world of theater and dance and composition, in the life of ministry. You get as many chances to fail as you need. My failure was actually the beginning of my music career, but more importantly, it was the beginning of my soul awakening. In essence, my mother's friend was talking to me about the work of the soul, the continuous process of growing deeper into who I am, what I am, and where I am, my ultimate place in the family of things, as poet Mary Oliver says so beautifully. In the work of the soul, failure is not failure. In the work of the soul, you get as many chances to fail as you need. In the work of the soul, failure is not the end. It is often the beginning of this continuous process of growing deeper into who you are, 
what you are and where you are in the family of things. Now, in religious parlance, this process is called surrender. And my friends, surrender saves your life. Surrender as a spiritual practice does not mean giving up and it does not mean caving in. Surrender, as Christian theologian Cynthia Bourgeau describes it, is just letting the fear rise up and falling through to the other side. Or as a Sufi mystic put it so beautifully, welcoming the joy entertaining the depression, the meanness, the momentary awareness, and being grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Every religious tradition I can think of talks about some form of surrender as part and parcel of our spiritual work. And if you are living a soulful life, my friends, you are always in some state of surrender. Michael's story demonstrates this so beautifully. It was, a mis- was it a mistake to take that job? Or did he welcome the guests of this being human? This being human, trusting, knowing each had been sent as a guide for his true blossoming. What gets us tripped up in this business of life and the great mystery of being is that we confuse our soul work, our ultimate place work, with our ego work, our everyday conscious self work, our personality. Ego isn't bad. In fact, ego is what makes us human, what allows us to reflect upon ourselves and to reflect and wonder at the incredible world this is. But we've got the rightful hierarchy of our human being mixed up. Ego or the small self serves the soul or the large self, not the other way around. Ego serves the soul. I can't think of a religious tradition that doesn't say this in one way or another, ego serves the soul. When soul takes the back seat and ego is doing the driving, we endlessly crave security, comfort, and pleasure. And my friends, we are living in an ego-driven culture. An ego-driven culture, as Bill Plotkin describes it, and this is a bit of a long quote, but hang with it because it's a good one, has a dysfunctional notion of the self, which sees self as isolated, competitive, free, an autonomous agent. Such a culture is founded on human chauvinism, that belief that what is best for humans in the narrowest imaginable sense, and often only humans of a certain race, gender, class, or nation, is what is morally right. Individual egocentrism, meaning I am the center of the world, 
is a type of arrested development, encouraging each citizen to cultivate a use relationship with things and other people. Thinking of oneself and others as consumer becomes a reasonable idea, despite its profoundly deranged implications." End quote. I know that quote is a lot to take in, but I have to tell you, Bill Plotkin's description of our culture has galvanized my commitment to church to why I am part of a faith community rather than exploring my spirituality as a lone wolf. I want support for my soul work because my friends, it's hard to find anywhere else. I want a place, a community of friends to come to when I am welcoming the dark thought, the shame, the malice when I am surrendering or falling through the fear and finding what's on the other side. I want a place to come where people understand when I say, I'm letting patience sit right beside the doubt. I'm trying to live into the truth of right now. I'm growing deeper into myself, who I am, what I am, and where I am in the family of things. I'm galvanized in another commitment as well. Part of our soul work as adults, part of growing into who we are and what we are as a faith community is to companion children and youth as they navigate this egocentric culture. We all are being called to be countercultural agents, to name over and over again that the work of the soul is real. It's real. And it is absolutely imperative to becoming a full human being. The work of the soul is real. I think we need to quit saying to kids and youth, you can be anything you want to be. The more I think about that declaration, the more I think it is a big, fat lie. It's an egocentric platitude trying to disguise a much more compelling, much more profound truth. And here it is. Dear children, dear youth, dear coming of age people that are here today, hallelujah. You are here in this sanctuary today and your work on earth is to grow your soul to surrender over and over again in order to find your place in the family of things. You're not here to be anything you want to be. You're here to blossom into who you are. And there's a difference between those two statements. When you come home as a 19-year-old, 
beat up and defeated, we will remind you that failure is not failure. When you ask us, where is God? We'll stop what we're doing and go looking with you. When you tell us your dreams, we will listen with our whole hearts because dreams are the nudging of your soul. We need you and you need us. We are here to become fully and wholly human beings. We are here to grow our souls as mature and as mature soul-centered adults to repair and transform this world into a world of soul. I can't think of any greater calling than to say I am surrendering. I am falling into the fear. And then I'm going to see what's on the other side. May it be so. And amen.